Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Wakanda Forever and The Good Nurse. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer, Craig Stanton. Hey, guys. Hello. Guten Tag. <laughs> Welcome back, AJ. You are back from your trip to Deutschland. I am. Uh, please tell us all about it. Uh, well, my uh, moniker of being an ignorant American just seems like it's at an all-time high right now after going to... I've been to Iceland. This is my first time in like a... I don't want to say a proper EU country, but like... I was say proper <laughs> Europe. That's proper Europe. Um, Berlin is a really cool place. Um, and the our the way our offices is or the way I the the place I stayed is directly on where the line was that separated East Berlin wow. and West Berlin, and there was a rooftop that you could go up to. And when you're on the roof, you could literally look in one direction, and it was like concrete geometry of the Soviet bloc. And then you look in the other direction, and it's like a quaint, thriving, like European village. And it was really cool to see. Uh, like the duality between the two. Didn't have much time for pleasure. Uh, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. Um, but the food was food was good. Uh, we went to our traditional beer, beer hall, uh, Hofstrau, uh, which was amazing. <laughs> okay. But the whole time I was there, Bill, I could just think of that Nick Kroll sk- uh, skit where he's like, come to Europe's most fascinating hostel. And they're like, what do you do? And he's like, well, we wake up, we eat one bar, two bars chocolate, have one or two cigarettes, maybe work for one half hours, two half hours. And I was like, this is literally how these people are. Uh, that's great. There's like this time at like 3.15 as the sun's setting where it's like people just like throw down their cappuccino mugs and then just go instantly to beer. And it's like a culture thing. Everyone does it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's good to be back. My stomach's going through some shit, um, but I'm, I'm glad to be here on terra firma in the United States. You know I don't like to fly a bill. Uh, it was about an 11-hour flight oh, day between, I hate, between oh, shit. A, long travel day is the worst. I hate flying. hate it. But the good, the good part is like when you fly transatlantically or over the Atlantic, I think that's the same term, um, it's like a, th- a three... Three three plane. Um, it's big, so you know it's a good amount of leg room, a lot of bathrooms, provide meals. Um, but yeah, but you uh, you didn't get to do a lot of sightseeing. But uh, should I go visit it, if you will? Uh, I've I've never been. It's a thriving, thriving European city, and it is uh, super punk rock. It is very artsy. It's very eclectic. Um, okay. And when I go back again, I definitely want to have a buffer to uh, days wise, so I can experience like what it's really like there. But um, nice, nice. Well, with all the uh, travel, you probably got to watch some some things. I did. Um, I'm actually trying to do a better job reading. Um, so I, I was actually reading a little bit on the plane, which oh, helps my brain. You. Yeah. Um, but I watched two. Um, I watched one thing before I left, and I watched. One on the plane. So I did watch All Quiet on the Western Front, and I could not disagree with you more about your statement and your review that you had from last week or last session. Bill's been getting torched for this opinion. He should be. It's the dumbest fucking take I've ever seen him have. Um, okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Uh, maybe I missed on this one. I mean, look, nobody's perfect. My going by my normal criteria, 
uh, of giving things a yes if they execute well, I probably should have given it a yes. You're right. But yeah, okay. I still, I still feel like it's a tough sell to the general public. If someone just asked me off the street, should I go see it? Like, I don't know. So, I, but I understand where you're coming from. I understand the foot pushback I've gotten. Here, I just noticed that there's literally lunch all over my sweatshirt. Um, here's what I told you, and this is what I firmly believe. I'm a fucking mess over here. Is when you think of war movies, right? Uh, yep. And I think of three that come to mind, or two that come to mind. Saving Private Ryan is intense. When they storm Normandy, like you feel as though you are there, especially with a good sound system, things like that. 1917, uh, which we talked about last podcast, is dramatic. There is a grounded sense of reality, quote unquote, but there is a Hollywood aspect to it and this grand scale to it. This movie is fucking emotional. Like, it's heavy. It's heavy. It is. It's heavy. Uh, and that's why I'm really surprised you said no, because the way they do it between the amazing action sequences and the incredible dialogue sequences when there's downtime in this war is really well done. Um, and I just, I'm, 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 I'll, I'll get over it that you said no, but it's going to take me a while before I can do so because I thought it was that good of a film. Now, in the same a realm of like a Dunkirk in a 1917, I probably won't watch it again. But if someone comes up to me and they're like, should I watch it? 100%, no question about it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be emotional. It's going to be heavy. But if you know that going into it, um, it's an incredible vignette about like the harrows of war. I, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, no, it's really good. It is really good. It's really well done. I'm not. I would never argue any of that. I just. I think I. This may have been one of those times where I was a victim of having seen as many movies as I have because it just felt to me like, oh, another movie about man's inhumanity to man. Like I have seen this so many times. So like, that is my own bias that I think I projected into that review that I that I in retrospect should not have because uh, objectively it is great. So yeah, I might miss on that one. I might miss on that one for sure. Hey, admitting is the first step of the problem. I'm, I'm glad you uh, realized that and we can <laughs> move you. on. Thank you. The movie I watched on the plane that I should not have watched on the plane that I should have waited till I got home was uh, Justin Long's new movie, Barbarian, which we talked about in either the last pod. Sure did. We talked about it. Uh, I gave it a, a hard yes, but we didn't go into detail naturally based on the story, which now that you know the story, I'm sure you understand why we didn't go into detail. One of the weirdest fucking things I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's, it's a strange in one. that same realm of like bodies, 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 and uh, Cabin in the Woods. It's like this new take on horror that is heavily influenced uh, by comedy and current events. And they write a script that is so unique and so far fetched that somehow it works. Um, and it was, it was crazy. That's so good. It's so um, good. It's a must watch. It's on HBO Max now. Uh, so I definitely recommend more people check it out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's gruesome, it's bloody, it's gory, it's sure. disgusting. Yep. It's all of those things, but it's also extremely funny and extremely well done. Um, so go uh, go check it out before we go into full Christmas mode. Uh, and then sombering news, uh, which we've been talking about all week. Uh, Kevin Conroy, mm. the voice of Batman, uh, has passed away at a pretty young age. Um, not a lot of people knew he was sick. Um, and both, Bill, uh, you and I had grown up on Kevin Conroy being the voice of Batman in the animated series, uh, the DC animated movies, the Arkham games. Um, 
It's just super sad because it came out of nowhere. Yeah, that was definitely startling news for sure, and it's it's extremely sad. Like you said, I I used to get home from school and always rush to do my homework in time to have it all done for when I could watch Batman the Animated Series at 4 or 4.30, whatever time it was on. And I watched it every day. Uh, so I loved Batman the Animated Series. Then when Mask of the Phantasm, the, the full-length feature, came out, I had the VHS of that that I wore out, basically. Um, so long history with Kevin Conroy and, and then starting as I got older, reading the, the full graphic novels of Batman, I mean, his voice was the one I would hear. Like, that is the Batman and Bruce Wayne. He did such a great job differentiating Batman and Bruce Wayne in a way that has yet to be replicated. Even when you watch Christian Bale and Affleck and all these other portrayals, they basically do their own voice for Wayne, and then they just like drop two octaves and add grit to be Batman. But Conroy could just manipulate his voice to be both so clearly and distinctly. Uh, it's really it's something special. So definitely a big loss, big loss, uh, and big uh, a big classy move by DC and Mark Hamill. Uh, the press release they put out was actually basically like an obit from Mark that was like he was my partner in crime for like the last 20 years because Mark Hamill voiced the Joker. Um, uh, and it was really nice and touching to see Mark's tribute to uh, a colleague and a friend. Um, so we will definitely miss Kevin and uh, I'll probably watch a few of the episodes of the animated series um, in the next few weeks to pay pay tribute. Yeah, same for sure. All right, Bill, in the news, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences have officially named that Jimmy Kimmel will host the Oscars this year. Fuck. This will be his third time as MC after doing so in 2017. That was not like a voice clear. That was more of like a distaste. Oh. Ah, I see. In 2017 and 2018. Bill, when it comes to Hollywood's biggest night, no one loves criticizing the Academy more than you. What's your reaction to Jimmy Kimmel hosting once again? Uh, I'm fine with it. I I mean... We've discussed many times how I would how I would run this the show. You can go back to any episode previously to hear about that. How I would run the Academy Awards, uh, I would have no no host personally, so I'm still a fan of the no host option. But after the chaos that ensued in last year's events uh, with the slap, I understand that them sort of drifting back towards some security, a security blanket of sorts of like getting a host that we know can keep things under control that we've had multiple years before that doesn't really upset anybody one way or the other it's a safe pick and i think they need a safe pick after last year so um yeah it is what it is it's not unexpected uh, to be honest you know what this reminds me of what reminds me of super bowl halftime show yeah good call where after in like 2003 or 4 whenever that was the justin timberlake janet jackson boob incident the wardrobe malfunction they got super conservative like and just went with like old fogies paul mccartney rolling stones bruce, Tom springsteen, Petty, bruce springsteen like and then only really sort of recently in the last couple years um i'd say like they did like bruno mars did one and katie perry did one and gaga and like yeah that's a great the, only very recently did they start doing like contemporary artists again but there was like 10 years where they just went full like 
gray hair, ponytail, <laughs> rock and roll no risk. bands from no the risk 70s. assessment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. no one's gonna go. Uh, uh, you know, the odds of him going off script are slim to none. Like, Zero. Company man. He's Company just man. a fucking squid. So they're like, you know what? Like, you do you, Jimmy. Yeah, as long as they don't have another disaster like last time, they'll be happy. All right, next in the news, AJ, I got a story that you might be interested in. Sure. Uh, AMC Entertainment is planning on creating uh, Zoom Room auditoriums in some of its markets. This will allow businesses to rent theaters for a three-hour block so they can give virtual presentations to large numbers of staffers at once. AMC CEO has said, quote, One of the lessons learned during the pandemic, when so many of us were forced to work, work remotely, was the importance of a reliable, dynamic communication platform. We also learned that even though we may be spread far apart, the ability to come together is as important as ever, end quote. AJ, do you think this is A, a savvy business move, and B, how would you feel if your employer scheduled you a meeting at your local AMC? Bill, this is the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> tell me tell me more. The whole point of a Zoom is I don't have to go anywhere. Okay. Oh, I see the angle you're going. Yeah. The meeting's brought to me. Why would I have to then go to a local aggregate that isn't my office to get a fucking demonstration or a meeting when it was either could be done in person in that location, simulcasted either in person or remote, or I don't leave my fucking basement? What if they wanted to do... <laughs> right? A present. I'm just, you make a good point. <laughs> but, but like you, but you don't think it'd be slightly different to get a presentation from I don't know whoever to you with your peers in one auditorium together versus in your office together versus home alone. No, because I if I if that was the case, they would have inv- they would have had the the opportunity to go in to a simulcast like a. Sometimes we do it at work. We actually do it all the time where it's like, hey, if you want to come in, second floor kitchen. If not, it's going to be simulcast and here's the Google Meet link. Yeah, but what if all your uh, uh, employees in Germany, for instance, they, they can't come to a thing, but they could all get to an auditorium. Yeah, they just go to a conference room and it's going to be simulcast there and you can watch it together. But they, can they fit everybody in one conference room? I think that's they the idea, have right? Multiple conference like is, rooms across multiple but that's, floors. But is that the same as being in one big room together? But here's the thing. What's the difference of me talking shit to you sitting next to me in a conference room? For, and I still can't talk shit to someone three rows ahead of me or a person across the table from me in a conference room. It's all relative. It makes no fucking sense. But if you're in a big theater, you can do breakout groups. You can do activities. You can. Oh, in the pitch dark <laughs> with fucking chairs in front of you? Yeah. Hey, pull up. Pull up a seat and let's talk about synergy. Hold on. Let me get a fucking Allen wrench to undo this fucking seat that's bolted to the floor. Maybe I can spin it around. I I don't know. AMC says they will provide all the technology required uh, as well. Yeah, projector. As well. No, because I think the idea is you can do breakout groups. I don't know. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're going to run out of space and you're going to have like... You know, Jill from HR and Mark from accounting in the kitchen with the fucking the fry guy trying to talk about, you know, fiscal reports for next year. This is the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard. All right. This is one of those things where someone is in a room with a whole bunch of smart people and they're like, you know what we should do? We should rent out movie theaters for conferences. And someone's like, we'll call it a fucking Zoom room. And no one thinks beyond that. And they just full steam ahead. AMC, you're fucking idiots. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, thank you for your, thank you for your uh, corporate opinion on that one, AJ. This might be the only time in our, 
I don't know, decade-long relationship, both of us, that neither one of you have really pushed back on a, a, a diatribe that I just went on. I mean, no, you, you, make some, you make some salient points. Okay. Uh, Bill... Onto lighter things. Yeah, right. Um, Netflix's smash hit about Jeffrey Dahmer entitled Monster is getting the anthology treatment. Monster will now be the name of multiple limited series about monstrous killers. Meanwhile, the Dahmer show took plenty of flack for profiting wildly off the death of victims whose families are still very much alive and living with the trauma of their losses. Uh, did you, A, watch the show, Bill, and B, do you think that the complaint is justified? I did not watch the show, even though many, many people in my life watched it and were texting me about it or talking to me about it at work, and people were really into it. Um, I personally, just a 10-episode, like, I would watch a movie about Dahmer if it was well done and got good reviews and, you know, good actor, but I'm not going to watch 10 hours of a serial killer killing people. Like, I just, it's not... There's just no value in that for me. I just don't find it. I don't find that type of uh, stuff entertaining to me anymore. I think like Mindhunter was really interesting because it was different every week. The actors were great. The writing was great. Like all that stuff. But just 10 episodes about one killer. I just, I don't know. So it never seemed of interest to me at all. Then I start reading these articles where everyone's, the, the victims of, or the families of the victims are getting upset saying like, what this show is huge on Netflix, making tons of money and we're sitting here not, involved in the process whatsoever, not being compensated in any way, and are and we're being treated like, you know, plot objects. Their family members are treated like plot devices. Then I hear that uh, I think Ryan Murphy is the, the showrunner, said that he reached out to the victims' families and they never responded. So I don't know what to think on that one. Uh Ryan Murphy FX Glee Ryan Murphy? Yeah. Yep. Same one. So so I don't know. I I think the complaint is justified. I do. I I know we talked about the Lakers show, the LA Lakers show, and how those people were still alive and they were being depicted poorly. And I I had... We also talked about this with the the Pam and Tommy thing. Right, right. This is like a common... And so I had a problem with it then. This is a little different because those people aren't alive anymore, but their relatives are, uh, which is almost worse because obviously the the victims can't... aren't here to, to... speak for themselves or, or modify how they're appeared. Like, like Pam or Tommy could put out a press statement if they wanted to. These folks can't. Yeah. So uh, I get the flack for it. I don't think that that should necessarily stop creators. I just think they need to be mindful of it, which is why if he did reach out and they didn't respond, now it kind of changes the dynamic a little bit to me. I just think we do need to be mindful of that, and I think that should be integrated. I'm not saying never make another show about a killer because of this. I'm just saying that they should. it should be part of the process, I think. Yeah. The, th- the thing... So the thing about Mindhunter that I don't know about the Dahmer show. So Mindhunter, what they did a really good job is that they brought these serial killers' personalities and personas front and center. But they never attached uh, real victims or real people to it, right? They would talk about maybe things that they've done historically, vaguely. Or they talked about a dramatized instance with this serial killer that was unrelated to any real death. I don't know if in the Dahmer show they used real uh, victims' identifications or real murders as a plot device. That's the difference for me. You know what I mean? It's one thing to say, oh, like we're going to make something up that sounds like something that happened or combine four or five different things together. It's another thing to be like, here, on episode seven of Dahmer, we're going to talk about how he killed, you know, Emily Doe from Minnesota. 
And then, then the families have to like revisit that or see that or hear about it again or, you know. Right. Well, I think, I think the difference too is that Mindhunter was focused on the investigation portion of it. And in most of cases, the people were already behind bars versus Dahmer. And I know that show you that's really popular are both the main, the protagonist is the, like you're watching the killer. Like you're not watching the investigation of the killer. You are watching the killer as the protagonist. And I think that also makes it a little different. So it's, it's an interesting discussion. Obviously, there's going to be more discussion to be had, especially as this show now spins off into new series is about new killers is. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, and I, I remember uh, before we move on, there was, a, there was a similar kind of flack-ish about the Zac Efron movie, the extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile, where he plays Ted Bundy. And everyone was like, oh, he's so hot. He's such a daddy. Like... There was this like hypersexualization of serial killers, which the family spoke out and was like, this guy was a fucking monster. Like, what are we doing here, folks? Like, why is this a thing? And I, I think it has to do also where there is a huge um, obsession uh, in mainstream media around a dateline, unsolved mysteries, murders, and things like that, that is probably really unhealthy, too. I know serial kind of kicked a lot of that off uh, in pop culture yeah. but I, we also need to remember that depiction is not endorsement so like just because they follow the character doesn't mean that they endorse what's happening on screen which gets confused as well like how could you make a movie about Bundy it's like well just because they make a movie about it is not necessarily mean it's pro Bundy like it's depiction is not endorsement I think sometimes people get that mixed up too yeah, that's a good call uh, last news story AJ Key, Keegan-Michael Key of Key and Peel fame uh, said in an interview recently that uh, Timothy Chalamet quote drips charisma end quote and is fantastic as Willy Wonka in the upcoming film Wonka. Key, who also stars in the film, says that there are multiple musical numbers and that Chalamet knocks them out of the park. Uh, AJ, I don't think the Wonka movie was on either of our radars. Nope. Uh, so my question is: Is it on your radar now after hearing this? glowing feedback from from key nope and has your opinion of chalamet changed over the last few years as he has become hollywood's it boy it man it guy nope (laughs) (laughs) just a whole bunch of nopes don't need a new willy wonka movie dumb i just think he plays the same brooding hypersensitive weird outcasty thing in in everything he does and i don't think i've seen one instance of any of a performance where he is has, has stepped out of that bounding box he's put himself in and done something different cool maybe this willy wonka movie is a fact where he can play a new type of character um it could be in that bob dylan movie i know we've talked about it uh, off the pod um, that he's supposed to star as Bob Dylan in the that biopic. To me, that is interesting because I can see him or potentially see him as a breakout role where it's like you mature and you start taking on work that is going to push you and try to make you um, be a different character than, than one that you've historically have always played. And that's my problem with the kid. I will say that for me... For me, he, when he first kind of hit the scene, um, and particularly in Call Me By Your Name, which was his, his breakout hit as an actor, I think he did a really nice job. I think he's fantastic in that. I think he has some chops. I do think he's unfortunately been typecast. 
and his agents are keep allowing it to happen where he keeps playing very, very similar roles. I think more recently, he broke through a bit in Dune. I thought he was a pretty good choice for Dune. Uh, especially having read the book, I think he matched that character pretty well. Uh, and so I'm in, I'm in a tough spot where it's, it's, it's very role dependent. Um, like I said, those two movies in particular stand out to me as things he's done really well and, and merit all the attention he gets. And then I see other movies like Little Women, which was my pick of best movie of the year that year. Um, he's good, but he's in the Timothy Chalamet role, air quotes. Uh, and, you know, what was the other one in Wes Anderson's latest film? He also was in it and he was also sort of in the quote unquote Timothy Chalamet role. Uh, so he's definitely wearing on me in that in that degree. Can I say something in defense of Timothy Chalamet? No. <laughs> Please. He's been around for like two seconds. Has he though? Call me Call me by your name came out in 20... I'm looking at it right now. Call me by your name... First of all, he's 26. Okay. Second of all, Call me by your name came out in 2017. Yep. So that's like basically his first movie that anybody gave any sort of a crap about. His first role that like made him a household name. That's five years ago. You get you make it sound like the dude's been in Hollywood for like twenty five years. Like he's like like he's Michael Sarah or something like that. But his output is pretty high, no? You got in front of you. What's his output? Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. But I'm just he's saying doing that two or three like, movies a year. He's been in twenty features since twenty fourteen. Yeah, but how many are actually like things that people are aware of? All I'm saying is give the kid a chance to like have a career. I am. I'm not the one calling him whiny. I don't know him. I can't call him whiny. I'm just saying. No, but like the typecastiness of it, like it's like, well, yeah, I mean, he's in like the earliest possible phase of his, what I'm imagining will be like a lifelong career in film. Like, yeah. Yeah, but seven years of the same shit is like a long time. How long How long have we been doing this thing? <laughs> yeah. Touche. Yeah. But I think, well, I mean, this is this is the normal this is the normal cycle that Jennifer Lawrence went through and Anne Hathaway went through, and now Shyamalan goes through. Where like you become the it person, you're out there all the time, and then people like AJ and I shit on you. Did we just get another Shyamalan? Did I say Shyamalan? You M Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Every other time. Uh, wait, wait, wait. And whoa, for whoa, the whoa, record, whoa. wait. And for the record, I love Anne Hathaway and always. I was going to say, what, what are we doing with my girl Anne Hathaway? I'm speaking. I'm speaking broadly. I'm speaking broadly. There was. There was. Eventually, there's a. There's like a a backlash. There was certainly for J Law, which she has acknowledged recently that like the work she put out at that time was not good because she wasn't even getting the scripts that she should have from her agents. And then Anne Hathaway, a bunch of people, I don't know, got sick of. I've always loved her, but... Oh, yeah. Anyway, my point is, there's often a time when actors around this age get backlash. Uh, so, here we are. Here we are, backlashing. Unfortunately, falling into that cycle. All right, Bill. This week, we will be talking about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and The Good Nurse. So, for the former, according to imdb.com... The people of Wakanda fight to protect their home from intervening world powers as they mourn the death of King T'Challa. Uh, Bill, should I go see it? Yes. This is an easy yes. Um, Black Panther, obviously, everybody on the planet saw it. It made billions of dollars uh, and was a huge, huge hit. Nominated for Best Picture, the whole nine. And this is uh, the sequel that is extremely, you know, difficult to, you know, it's it's a tightrope to navigate uh, with the with the real life passing of uh, Chadwick Boseman who played T'Challa the Black Panther 
So this is the first movie since that has occurred where they have to address that in universe, so to speak. Um, and, you know, I think they did a really, really nice job. It is a hell of a tribute to Chadwick Boseman. This movie basically acts as a tribute to him. I think they handle it. I think they handle that situation with grace, with a lot of reverence for him. Uh, they handle it with care. So I think sort of the, the, my global uh, take on it is they just did a really, really nice job with what is an extremely difficult task. And I think it the way they set it up allowed for a certain amount of sort of mourning and grief and healing for an audience that had come to fall in love with him and his portrayal of this role. So I think they did a really nice job. That's sort of the, the big picture. As far as the story for the movie, you know, the crux of it is starts with, you know, the death of T'Challa and Wakanda mourning for him. Um, his mother, Angela, ba- Angela Bassett, uh, becomes the queen of Wakanda. Then a joint operation between different nations discovers vibranium in the ocean presumably from another meteorite that hit the earth, just like the one that formed Wakanda, if you remember that. And then when they are drilling for that vibranium, they become a target of Namor and his underwater kingdom, which is the new character introduced in this film. The antagonist, Namor, a.k.a. the Submariner, if you've read the comics. And so there's... Because vibranium is involved, the United Nations assumes that Wakanda is involved, but it's actually Namor. And so there's sort of confusion there about which who is doing what and that's where the conflict begins and the real like story takes off from there so that's sort of the the setup of this film this is probably spoilers but i mean did they just go right into his death like like and explain how it happens and what happened for it to happen and all that stuff yes yes opening scene they handle it immediately is it jarring that to do to do that or is it like you think it was a necessary thing just to like level set and get on the get everyone on the same page yeah they had to because like you can't show them unless you have archival footage you can somehow manipulate but like you're not going to recast them obviously and you're not going to show it show him so they go right into it from the get-go and they make it and then they build that into the script they build it into the story and like the trajectory of now the mcu so they did a lot of updating obviously of what they had planned but that's what go ahead no 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 no. i was gonna say so they clearly didn't use CGI. Did they? Did they use cutting room floor stuff or things like that for flashbacks? They literally do not show him. Wow. Well, there's I guess some flashes of previous footage, but there's there's never there's nothing new shown of him. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's crazy. Uh, what? That's a that's a very high level of respect they have for for him yes, and the character for sure for sure. My second question is in the vein of how we. We, we talked about this in past weeks and past episodes, is um, the Taika Watiti curse. Is that you do something great for the first time and everyone's like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it again. And then you try to push the envelope and they're like, no, go back to your old tricks. So uh, Ryan Coogler, who wrote and directed the first Black Panther, was a hit. Everyone saw it. I saw it. We saw it together. Loved it, right? I think the whole world saw it and responded to it. Uh, was his sophomore take... In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just as good or as powerful as his uh, freshman hit, so to speak? It's close. I don't think you're ever going to be able to top that first one, especially because of the novelty and the impact of it, like the newness of it. So it's not at the, this the movie is not at the same level as Black Panther, per se. And there's also some script issues here that are not, that are, Black Panther was just a, a smoother, better movie. 
But that being said, this is still a very, very good movie, and it is uh, the best the MCU has done this phase. That's for sure. Um, well, and it's far and was- it's yeah, and it's definitely in the mid to high, the higher tier Marvel movies. And what is interesting about it, and this is also sort of my one knock against it, is the movie's two hours and I think forty-seven minutes. It is long. Um, it's paced well. It only kind of really slows down during one part um, in the middle. But it didn't need to be this long. And I think what basically happened is they had the script for this movie with Chadwick Boseman. And it was basically the Namor storyline of the movie. And that Namor storyline is like probably two hours and 10 minutes, two hours, 15 minutes worth of material, which would be a normal length of a movie. But with the passing of Chadwick Boseman, they now needed to add the bookends and like some extra story beats. And that what sort of ended up making it two hours and 40 minutes. So like they, if, uh, if I took his passing out of it and I just thought about the Namor side of the script, which could basically run the same if Chadwick Boseman were alive, they could basically run that storyline essentially the same just with some different characters plugged in. Um, that in of itself is definitely a good, is really, really good. Like Namor's great. It's a, it's a star making turn um, for the actor who played Namor. It's just a fantastic role. Um, he's one of the best villains they've done in a long time because he doesn't think he's a villain, just like kind of Magneto or Killmonger. Like he's just one of those really well-developed antagonists. So that whole mid storyline is great. Um, but then they have to obviously address these other issues that make it longer. Um, and he does a really, really nice job. It's a lot heavier than the, than Black Panther. Like Black Panther is an uplifting movie for the most part versus this is definitely a downer. I mean, it's heavy. It's as emotional as the MCU is going to get. Um, because it's the passing of a character, but not the passing of a character. It's also the passing of a person. Um, and if and almost anybody going into this movie is going to have that in their mind. So they are going to be able to associate it, which makes it more powerful. Um, so again, it's it's hard to do a direct comparison. I would say it is close, but it's not going to it's not going to stand out as much as the original. Uh, my last question is regarding the theater experience. So we've heard from a bunch of Disney execs that their goal is after a uh, Disney entity, so like a Marvel movie, is released theatrically, um, they would like it to be a 45-day window between opening weekend to when it arrives on Disney+. Plus. Uh, they've already said... You guys are fucking crazy. It's not coming out within 45 days because it's the holidays and they see this as a massive cash cow because it's a good movie and everyone wants to see it. They want to see what happens to the character and the evolution. Um, So, Bill, um, I have a two-part question. Is that when do you think we can expect to see this on Disney Plus? And um, for those who like to watch movies at home, can we wait or is it something that we really should see in theaters to give it its proper uh, day, so to speak. Uh, I would guess, like you said, they're probably going to hold this close for a while. Uh, I mean, Black Panther was in theaters when it was coming out on VOD. Like, it was still in theaters. Like, Black Panther made so much money, they kept, like, one or two showings a day for months and months and months. And I'm, I would guess they're going to try to do that again with this. I don't think this will be quite as impactful as that was. But I would say probably New Year at least they would they would wait till and like get through the holiday season with having this on one or two screens just to keep going to give people options of what to see. Um, and I do think it would it, it merits going to a theater for sure. It's a it's a big movie like we talked about. All these movies are big, and this one because Namor uh, is is sort of a, a based in an underwater kingdom. It's kind of it's like Atlantis, but it's it's modeled after the ancient Mayans. 
And so they, with the water element, they're able to do some interesting and innovative things with the action sequences that they wouldn't have done in any other MCU movie. Um, so that made the action a little more interesting. There's not as much action in this movie as there might be in other MCU, again, because it's so heavy and they have so much plot to handle. But the action that is there, I thought was actually pretty, pretty well done. There's the underwater stuff, and there's also some hand-to-hand combat. It's not quite Russo Brothers level hand-to-hand combat, but it's close. Um, so I think a, a big screen experience is great. And, you know, for something like this, this is one of the rare cases where I do think seeing it with other people because of the emotional element, there is sort of that, that togetherness of Com- seeing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it, I think it definitely merits it. Um, any last thoughts on Black Panther before we move on to the good nurse? Uh, no, I, again, I think, uh, I think it's really well done. A, a little overstuffed, maybe, but again, for the reasons that we mentioned, and there are good reasons to, to be that way. So I definitely uh, definitely recommend it. All right, Bill, let's go on to the second and final movie where we'll be talking about today, uh, The Good Nurse. So according to imdb.com, an infamous caregiver is implicated in the deaths of hundreds of hospital patients. Based on a true story, Bill, should I go see it? So I gave this one a yes. It's a softer yes, I will say. Um, it's soft. It's, a, it's soft. a soft yes. It's it's based on a true story. It's made for Netflix. Um, you know, you mentioned the plot. Jessica Chastain plays sort of a down on her luck nurse um, who has a heart of gold and heart trouble. Um, she ends up working with a new nurse, Eddie, played by Eddie Redmayne, who has a spotty history and gets but but is still transferred to her hospital with good recommendations. Then one of their joint patients dies unexpectedly. The police get involved and sort of we're off to the races from there. Um, you know, Chastain is one of the best actors working today. Um, and she is great. She's great. Um, Redmayne can be hit or miss depending on the role. And in this, I think he's generally pretty good. Uh, when he's on, he's, you know, in any role, if Redmayne is like on, he's great. Um, not all of his roles allow for that. But um, so this is a pretty... Interesting movie. It gets the job done. It's it's interesting, actually, to counterpoint what Craig and I were talking about earlier. This one, I feel like, actually may have made a better series, to be honest. Like, if they made this, like, a six-episode series, episode one ends with the death of the patient as, like, the kind of the cliffhanger. It felt like the storyline already had multiple cliffhangers built in that you could end the episodes on. And that would have given us more time. It would have given us more time with Redmayne, who doesn't get a lot of development. And it would have given us way more time with the detectives because once the police are involved in the investigation, the detectives are fine. Like Noah Emmerich is is one of my favorite actors. He's great in it. But they only appear to exist in the scenes in the movie. You know what I mean? Like they only exist within the confines of the scenes that they're in. They don't feel like actual real world characters that are like have their own lives. They just feel like they're made for the movie. And I feel like there was some overacting in there too. I just feel like they could have strung this out a little bit more and added more depth to both Eddie Redmayne and the detectives that I think would have made it a little better. As is, it's an interesting story, particularly because it's true, makes it more interesting. And all the actors in it are just A+, especially like when you have Kim Dickens and Noah Emmerich as like side characters, you know you got a good cast. And they are the ones that sort of elevate it to the yes that it gets. Uh, I probably couldn't say it better myself. Um, so we both watched it. Uh, I agree. Jessica Chastain just nails her fucking character. I mean, she could act the phone book and I think she could sell out arenas doing so. Um, yep. The on-screen dynamic and the scenes that have both 
Eddie Redmayne in it and Jessica Chastain are fantastic. Um, it just sucks that I feel like I told you this. It's I feel like Eddie's character doesn't hit its stride until the last ten minutes. But to your point, if it was a ten episode or eight episode miniseries and we could see him outside of the hospital, understand how his mind works, like the the things that make him who he is, I think would have been much more interesting. And I agree that the same thing with the two detectives as well is that. The pace, while it was a freight train at some times, felt like a fucking slog at other times. And it was those things that wanted to take me away from it. But again, Jessica Chastain is so fucking good at what she does. Is that like, you just want to keep watching for her. And if she's probably one of the primary reasons that I would have swayed this into the yes column, then the no column, because I just love watching her do her job. So... Um, yeah, I think, and, and the fact that it's made for Netflix, I think, kind of shows a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of noise and film grain in it, which is a weird choice. It's kind of got a muted color palette. It's like a Fincher-esque. I, I was literally going to, I don't know how I was going to bring it in, and I, I don't know what the budget was for the film. I'm pretty sure all of the budget they used was for four people in the film. The right. Cast. Everything is like super tight, like 85 mil, just like on a character's either profile or expression the entire movie. The lighting is super minimal and nothing crazy. And I feel like, to your point, they they just had this idea. They probably had a short window to do it in a tight budget. And Jessica Chastain was like, I'm on. And they were like, fuck it. Find a hospital we can film this in. Um, so no frills when it comes to like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> any sort of production value. It's It's... Intimate and raw and very uncomfortable in the way it was shot. I I think if they wanted to make it a theater-ready movie, they needed to punch it up a little bit more, add a little panache uh, to make it like mm. more of a thriller. Because like there were moments in the story when she's investigating and uncovering things where if you had a little punchier music, because like the music is all kind of like just weird undertones and sound. If you add like some strings and some some like moments that hit where like revelations are realized. Uh, you could have made it like more of a thriller where they're like trying to figure this out and get this guy, um, but they didn't do that. They played it like super. Again, they're like really trying to rip off David Fincher's style, but without the the acumen to do so. So it makes it much more of a made-for-TV movie. So it definitely does feel like it's made for Netflix, which is kind of a bummer. But um, but that was the difference maker. But again, cast cast and true story of it got it to yes for me. I'm trying to find online the production schedule and budget, and I I can't find it. I cannot find it. So, uh, yeah, all valid points, Bill. And uh, if you like true crime, if you like either Eddie Redbane or Jessica Chastain, it's worth the watch. Yep. Bill, for our final segment, Netflix and Bill, what have you been watching uh, and why? Uh, um. <laughs> Sell me. I have one. I have one more Netflix original that I watched. Okay, uh, called "I Used to Be Famous." Mm. Now I watched this movie because of Ed Screen, and you might not know who that is. He's an interesting actor. He's got a unique look about him that I like. He's kind of like the male Anya Taylor Joy, where like he just looks interesting. He just captures your attention. Who's this person? Ed Screen. Um, so you may know him, and he's got an interesting Hollywood story that I want to talk about because. He was the one who played, originally played Dario Naharis in Game of Thrones. So, like, end of season three when that character is introduced and he brings the bag of heads to Khaleesi and, like, wants to win her over. He's got long hair. 
That was Ed Screen. So he was. But then they replaced him. Well, here's right? this is where the story gets interesting. So he was Dario Naharis, and then he was cast as a as the lead to reboot the Transporter franchise. Remember Jason Statham's action franchise, The Transporter? Yeah. They rebooted that, and he got the chance to play the star role. So he had to leave Game of Thrones, and he left Game of Thrones to take that chance. And then that movie did not do well. I gave it a no, personally. Um, and so then they had to recast him, and then the guy that they cast into the role of Darren Harris, you know, he did great, and he's now in like a million things. And Ed Screen like took a gamble on being a movie star versus a TV star, and didn't really work out. Um, so it's a really interesting story, and I don't necessarily blame him. I mean, Thrones early on, Thrones was big, but like it's not movie big, um, like it would become kind of a couple seasons later. So he left to do uh, the transport, and it didn't. That never took off as a franchise. Got it. So in this movie, he is uh, he was in a boy band twenty years ago. So this is like twenty years later. This guy who used to be in a boy band. You know, he obviously peaked in, in terms of fame, and now he's a struggling artist who has a haunted past, naturally. Uh, and he's a street musician who befriends a kid who's autistic, but he has a gift for playing drums. It's kind of a musical savant situation. And so they pair up, and, and it goes from there. And the movie's like, okay, I'd give it a no. I gave it a no overall um, because it's just a little too, I don't know, it's fine, but it's not the best. Um, also, the entire movie hinges on something going viral, which by default makes makes me hate it uh, so i had issues with it but he's really good in it i think he's a great actor i think he's an interesting actor i like to see him in things so as soon as i popped up on netflix i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna check it out so so it's a no but still worth talking about <laughs> what a lot of backstory for a no holy shit <laughs> but a lot of interesting because i think I don't think a lot of people know who he is, or I think a lot of people don't realize what happened with the recasting of that role in Game of Thrones. And so that's why I kind of want to share that with people, because I find it fascinating. He's, I don't think he looks like the male Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy. No, I don't think he looks like her. I'm saying he's similar in quality and that he has an interesting look. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that. Oh, okay. She is one in a billion. Oh, no, no argument there. No She's the sexiest there. alien that's ever walked this earth. <laughs> You know, and I can't say he's the sexiest male uh, alien or sea, sea alien, <laughs> salient. That's everything. Anyway, AJ, that's something I did watch. Can I tell you something that we're not going to be watching? Uh, <laughs> what's that, Bill? Season five of Westworld because it's canceled. <laughs> yeah, it got cut. Uh, yeah, Westworld, you know, it's a shame because... The showrunners said that they wanted season five to wrap things up. Like they planned it. End of season four heads into a final season very clearly that they could finish it in one season. And HBO said, peace out. We're all set. Uh, But what's also interesting is that the actors were still under contract to keep their schedules free in case season five happened. So they are all getting fully paid regardless of the fact that that show is not getting made. Well, I got a few television things we talked about uh, in the last episode. Uh Actually, I think it came out last night. The new Santa Claus series on Disney Plus. So I will watch that uh, with Tim Allen and Bernard. Let me know how it is. Uh, har, har, har. I will. Um, I don't have really anything on the radar myself. Uh, I think just getting through the next two weeks with the holidays is top of mind for everybody. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to see the menu tonight. So I'll have a review on that uh, soon. Ooh. Very excited to see it. Already attempted to see it once. Uh, didn't work out. Long story on that one. 
uh, issue at the theater with the projector. Anyway, so going tonight, hopefully we'll have a review. And AJ, you know what movie I'm not going to watch? Chippendale? The the Margot Robbie-led Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which has also been canceled. I mean, we, I could have fucking told you that. <laughs> well, we talked about the fact that Margot Robbie was was is the it girl. Well, yeah. Uh, and she's getting every role, and she was getting a new Oceans and a new Pirates franchises for her. Uh, but apparently the Pirates one is uh, done so. Well, you have the, the good idea is that credits roll, and then the after scenes is that, yeah, you know, post like, who's that in the horizon? And then he's like, oh, hello, ladies. <laughs> post-credits, Johnny, Johnny Depp comeback in the post-credits would have been... Would have put asses in the seats, is all I'm saying. Well, now that they've fired her, maybe they're going to tell Johnny to come back on board, even though during the, the hearings he said he would never work for Disney over his dead fucking body. I don't know if they fired her, per se. They just canceled the project, is what it that's sounds fi- like. Well, it's canceled and fires. Not, that's not the same thing? No, fire is like one person. Cancel is like, the project's not working. If they don't have a good story or whatever. Oh, I, I bet her contract's guaranteed. Yeah, she probably she's probably getting paid like the Westworld folks. Either way, what's what's this, what's this world where you just do, you get paid for not doing any work? It's showbiz, baby. <laughs> Take it away. Welcome to Hollywood. Oh, thank you for <laughs> enduring this episode of the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It.